You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Before we start, I'll good soldier this and say that Tennis Channel, self-included, will be at Labor Cup in Chicago this week. Uh, but our guest this week is a doubles player and now a former doubles player. It is doubles titan Daniel Nestor, who retired after Canada's Davis Cup tie last weekend. 46 years old, 91 titles. He's won all four of the majors, as I see it, a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. Uh, he called it a career. We talk a bit about his decision, what led up to it, his career, and some really interesting insights, I thought, about um, the two Canadian stars, uh, Denis Shapovalov and Felix Aliasim. Um, good good conversation with a good guy who uh, is not on the Pro Tour anymore, but will be a part of tennis nonetheless. Here he is, Daniel Nestor. How, how are you? It's been a busy week. Uh, not bad. You? I'm all right. Have uh, we we saw an, an emotional uh, we saw an emotional moment on the court in Toronto uh, a few days ago. Are are you still in Canada? Yeah, I'm in Toronto. Yeah, um, uh, this is where I live. So just stuck around after the match. We're done with the Bahamas. So I f- I figure uh, you're two days into your retirement. You're on a pool deck right now with bottles of Labatt's empty and stacked up. Is that accurate? Uh, that would be ideal, but uh, I'm uh, I do have a pool at my house. I haven't jumped in it yet. I'm cleaning it yesterday. I was cleaning around it and cleaning my uh, my driveway and all the leaves that are starting to fall. So haven't got around to tanning, but uh, just doing the stuff that I uh, hadn't been doing uh, during the Davis Cup week. So catching up on that stuff. You're you're raking leaves. You're like a man in. Uh retirement um i i'm this is a funny question for uh for a 46 year old but why why now what what impacted your decision and and why did you make this decision well i kind of felt that 
at the end of last year that uh, you know things had changed. Uh, obviously, the results weren't uh, weren't what they used to be, and you know trying to get the, the partners that I thought that I could win with was also becoming more difficult. And I just noticed from my own uh, personal performance that uh, I I didn't feel uh, like my body was cooperating uh, like it had been. I'll, although I, I wasn't in necessarily in pain or, or injured or anything, it was just that uh, I just noticed my it didn't feel as explosive and and just didn't feel like I was getting enough behind the ball anymore and, and able to stay you know with these guys uh, these younger guys and in situations that I had been able to. Adapt to in the past, and I was struggling more and more to to keep up. And so this year, I just wanted to you know confirm that that was actually the case. And I mean, I didn't change anything. I didn't stop training or, or slow down. I, I you know was still being professional, and uh, it just wasn't enough anymore. And uh, and uh, although I, I played well at certain times, it's just uh, it's just not enough uh, at this level anymore. It's interesting because I. I... I always thought of you as sort of a, a doubles fetterer in the sense that you had seemed to figure out a way to make this work from a family standpoint. We, we would see your family on the road. I don't know if we ran into each other at Wimbledon. It, it always seemed like you had figured out the, the family part of this. So it's, it's interesting to hear you say this was more about the, the body slowing down and, and ability. But uh, how, have these last been, how have these last few years been like— um, on the domestic front, how did you do this as as a husband and a father? Well, I mean, that's most of the credit goes to my wife because uh, she was the one that uh, that uh, you know was on her own and with the kids for for the most part. I would obviously help and you know be a father, a proper father when I was uh, with with them. But uh, you know, I was away for most of the time, so you know it was stressful for her. But uh, you know, she's pretty strong willed and uh, she she got the job done. And uh, you know, a lot of the people that she hangs around to have uh, help and nannies and all that, but she kind of did it on her own. And uh, so that was uh, inspiring for me. And uh, she also understood that, uh, you know, this is my job and uh, this is, you know, what I'm good at. And uh, so we kind of had a routine and, uh, you know, you know, we, we were able to travel certainly as a family and other weeks, uh, you know, for the most part I was on my own, but I was doing well. And, you know, when you're doing something, successfully then you know you're it, there's incentive to keep doing it but as as soon as that changes and, and all of a sudden you're not as competitive anymore and you know financially it doesn't make sense then obviously uh everyone's mindset's going to change right I, i'm guessing when you started out on this journey you, you did not think that uh you know in, in your mid-40s you, you'd still be out here and we we talk a lot in tennis about longevity and you know Federer and serena 37 and 30 is the new 20 from your standpoint, what do you think it is? I mean, everyone has a theory, whether it's it's training or money. And from from your standpoint, why are we seeing careers last as long as they are? That's a great question. I, I don't understand it myself. I mean, uh, the, the age of the top hundred players, uh, the average age has been going up. Uh, doubles players seem to be playing longer, and and I don't know if it's people just you know realize the the opportunity and and maybe have learned from perhaps other players that have retired a bit earlier than the, than they would have liked, or you see some players retire and then they come back a couple of years later, you know, realizing that maybe they, they might've missed out. I don't know if, if players are, you know, understanding that or, or they just, uh, you know, understanding that the, 
God put them on the planet to, to do certain things, and this is what they're good at. And uh, and you know that uh, they, they were just able to realize that and uh, and achieve try and achieve their goals. Uh, and for me, I I kind of realized that uh, you know I want to max it out. Uh, didn't do things always properly when I was young. I, I didn't really aspire to be a, a professional tennis player when I was a teenager. I was just good at it, and I that's why I played and it wasn't until, you know, certain things started happening and maybe threatened that my, my mom wasn't uh, thrilled with, uh, you know, going pro without the, the results backing it up. So she suggested I go to university. And then as soon as those things started to, to kind of enter into the equation, then all of a sudden I became way more professional and uh, realized that uh, this is what I want to do. And uh, so that was, that was late teens and, and my first year is on pro, and uh, and then from there, I mean, you know, I, I always felt like uh, in singles I could have done better. Uh, you know, not saying I would have been uh, as successful as Milos or Dennis, but just knowing that I that I could have done better, having beaten uh, several top players, uh, kind of eat eat ate away at me. And uh, so I think that's why I uh, I really you know tried to make the most of doubles and and really maximize. Uh, that opportunity and that's probably why I played as long as I did. Wait, I, w- I want to ask you about that transition because I was looking up your singles record and you, you were top 60 but you, you you were very modest. You beat yeah. Guga, Rios, Mooster, Edberg, Rafter. I mean, that, that's five that's five top number one players you've beaten. You took a set off of Federer at one point. How did you get to that point where you decided, you know what, I'm going to make this transition to doubles? I mean, this this was a really nice singles. I, I think you were you were top sixty at one point, but those are some, you know, you, you beat five number one players. When did you make this decision to transition to doubles? I did it at the end of the two thousand one season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was fairly successful at singles, but uh, you know, when I compare myself to, to guys like Milos and Dennis, I just think they're physically more gifted than I am. I, I feel like obviously my hand eye coordination is is the same level if maybe even better but uh i think the game is very physical and singles is very physical and and for that reason uh you know i I just when i did play i just felt like you know certain days i felt great certain days i didn't feel great and and to be a top player you you know you need to be uh you need to be you need to be a combination of a top top physical athlete and a top uh hand-eye coordination athlete and and you know i just felt like i was half of that and uh so it was it was a challenge, and then uh, in in the end of the '99 season, when it was my best year in singles, uh, I was obviously playing a lot of matches because I was still doing well in doubles. And at the end of that season, I had surgery, and then the Olympic year in 2000, I uh, I kind of struggled to to come back uh, in singles, although I had some decent results. Uh, uh, you know, I was, I was still committed after we won the gold medal to, to do well in singles, and in the next year, uh, you know played pretty well but uh wasn't uh wasn't the same anymore and and i just felt like the body was uh you know my, my all of a sudden my shoulder surgery uh recovery you know turned into an elbow problem and and just little nagging things and and uh you know i, I told the story when I, I had my retirement party of uh you know the 2001 rogers cup i, I went to expo stadium and i took like 50 of the hardest swings i've ever taken uh at batting practice and managed to get one over the wall, which I was proud of. But uh, a few days later, I pulled my oblique uh, <laughs> playing a singles <laughs> match in Indianapolis. And then all of a sudden, my whole summer was ruined from that. And then I came back in the fall, uh, that fall, and 
you know, I just uh, I just got frustrated. I wasn't playing as well, and, and uh, you know, it was uh, I was already close to thirty, and I mean, my whole career I was always better at doubles, and uh, you know, I, I just decided to to make that change, and and you know, like really focus on doubles, and and yeah, I hadn't won any grand slams, and I I won the gold medal, but you know, I was uh, I felt like. Mark Knowles and I were in a very similar situation in the nineties trying to be the best singles players we could be, but we were just better at doubles and, and uh so after that I, I called him up and said, Let's uh let's try and be the best doubles players we can be and uh, and you know, get back together and, and we did that and then we ended up winning slams for the first time and definitely became a much better doubles player once I just focused on doubles from two thousand two on. I bet if someone said you got sixteen more years out here don't don't worry about those baseball injuries. You're going to be playing till 2018. You would have uh, signed up for it. Was 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 Mark your favorite partner? Uh, I mean, we I've, I've had so many good partners. I mean, Mark and I really got along well. Obviously, the end of the partnership didn't didn't go smoothly. Uh, you know, I kind of stopped things uh, mid mid season, which was which was definitely a mistake uh, uh, from my part. Uh, you know not not the right thing to do after so many years together I should have waited till the end of the year and so that kind of put a strain on things and then uh you know we ended up winning the french open uh, trying to prove each other how good we were <laughs> and so it ended up kind of positive but uh, and the masters that year too for the first time so you know we, we can look back on, on some great years but uh you know just from that standpoint it's it was hard to remember him as my favorite partner but uh Zimanich and i were the most successful we had the most success together, and uh, Mirny and I did very well together, and and uh, so we, all three partners were were successful, and and I look back uh, with uh, fond memories for sure for all three. How, how does that work? I mean, I, I think casual fans are surprised to hear this that a lot of times uh, doubles partnerships are not based on personalities, and a lot of times there's there's no love lost between the two people on the same side of the net. How does uh, if just hypothetically, of course, you, you and, say, Zimanich weren't great friends, how does that, just joking, but uh, how, how does that play out? I mean, what, what are the dynamics of that? Did you say Zimanich and I? I, I just hypothetically. I don't want to name names, Zimanich. Uh, if you, <laughs> oh, sorry. You're, you're, you're retired oh, now. You're, you're retired. You can, sorry, uh, you're cutting out again. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, from, from my uh, experience, uh, you kind of feel things right away with a partner and, uh, you know, that you have that uh, chemistry and, and that's something that uh, you can't take for granted, and you you see a lot of uh, you know, a lot of guys uh, doing well, and then you know six months later, you know they kind of uh, you know not not really uh, going as far forward, and all of a sudden they panic, and and then you know they they start pointing fingers, and and then all of a sudden they're playing with different partners, and not realizing that with this former partner was that's where they made their break breakthrough, and obviously. Uh, you know, you got to take all these factors into consideration, but, uh, you know, too often uh, double slayers are, you know, looking at uh, other opportunities and not, uh, not at the, you know, the, the partnership that makes sense. And, uh, I mean, I'm just as guilty as anyone. And But uh, it's definitely a learning lesson. And, uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, uh, you, you can't always have the perfect partner but it, you can't have a perfect partner in, in so many different uh, facets of life, but uh, you gotta you gotta work on things and communicate and uh, understand uh, that uh, you can be successful. Uh, you know, not always seeing eye to eye, but uh, respecting each other and uh, and uh, working together to try and be the best possible team. 
I'm, I'm listening to you talk about this, and I'm thinking, boy, if only you had an identical twin, that would make finding a doubles partner a lot easier. Um, l- let me ask you, you mentioned Dennis and Felix, and I, I think they both seem to recognize they're going to be uh, paired together in conversation uh, for, for much of their careers. How, how do you assess each of them? Yeah, I'm, I'm so impressed with both these guys. I mean, uh, obviously, Dennis, uh, he's got so much potential. We played doubles together in Queens this year. He's had such a big game from, you know, huge serve, big forehand, big backhand. I mean, such nice long strokes on each side with uh, with so much uh, power and, and uh, capability. And, and he's just kind of feel, – I feel like he's dominating his opponents. The only time he gets in trouble is when he he overdoes it and, uh, and he goes for too much. Uh He's definitely got an attacking personality, which I can relate to, and uh, and uh, you know I love watching him play. I just I just think sometimes uh, he needs to you know maybe take ten percent off off his ball and uh, you know try and hit a winner maybe on the third shot uh, as opposed to on the first shot of the rally. But uh, you know that that'll come with experience. And uh, and a guy like Felix, I mean, <laughs> this was the first time I actually hit with him uh, this last week in, in Davis Cup, and you know, I just cannot believe how athletic he was and. I mean, he has the perfect tennis body, if not perfect athletic body. I compared him to a mix of Djokovic and, and Spider-Man. I mean, he, he's just, <laughs> I like the way that. he covers the court, and, and you know, he's he's lean and he's he's ripped, and he's he's like six six foot five, and the guy's like a cat on the court, and 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 not to mention he hits the ball great, and you know, so I mean, these two guys, I don't think they realize. <clears throat> I think they do realize, but I I just hope they realize. Uh, how much potential they have and, and what they can do for, for Canadian tennis and, and tennis in the international stage. Because we could be seeing these guys. Like Dennis told me, like, at the end of that, that uh, tough match at the U.S. Open, we're going to be here playing a final one day, and I, I honestly think that's true. What do you tell them? And you, uh, I, I will credit you for starting this, this Canadian tennis boom, but uh, what, what do you tell those guys? I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, we were, you're 25 years older than they are, but I could tell from uh, from Davis Cup, how they looked up to you. What were some of the things you were trying to impart to them? Honestly, it's it's not that much. I mean, these guys are... That, that's the thing, and, and another thing that we talked about earlier, my singles compared to their singles. I mean, these guys, I, I just feel like from a young age, these guys were really focused and, and they knew what they wanted, and, and that's why they're so ahead of the game. And, and for, for just, so I'm almost in awe of them and, and uh, from that aspect, and you know, I, I talked to Felix for the first time. I talked to Dennis. These, these kids are intelligent kids. You know, you talk about this iPad generation. They're they're not having the focus that they once did, but I don't see it with them. And and you can throw Milos and Vasek in there too. I mean, they're still in their twenties. And, and uh, you know, these kids, these guys are all they're all so focused and they're doing all the right things and and they all want to to be the best they can be. And and so. You know, it's really not that much work, uh, you know, f- or, or mentoring with these guys. It's it's more just, you know, keeping them positive and, and, and uh, you know, just making sure they're, you know, thinking the right things and, and not getting down on themselves, you know, with, with a couple bad uh, results and that kind of stuff. Because I think uh, the way they're handling things and the way they're doing things, uh, you know, they're, they're all heading in the right direction and, and, you know, they're all going to be around for a long time. You've always been good at, analyzing top top players in singles uh, as well. How surprised are you that Djokovic, who you know nearly wasn't seeded for the French Open, has won uh, 
two straight majors now with the Masters 1000 sandwiched in between. How much are you surprised by this return of Djokovic? Again, it, for me, it's not a physical thing. It's just a mental thing. So seeing him, you know, in the locker room getting really spiritual, you know, 18 months ago, two years ago, and, and, and just, uh, you know, wondering where he was at mentally and, and now seeing him, you know, in a better place. And, I mean, his game, I mean, he, he's totally back, obviously, by his results. I mean, you watch him play. The guy's not making one on force there. No one in the history of sciences has moved the way he has and put himself in a position with every single shot to to you know, to play that level. And, and I mean, he, I've, I've never seen someone with that balance and, and athleticism, you know, coming ball side to side. And and uh, so I I think it, you know the physical aspect was there. It's just the mental aspect uh, has 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 improved to where it used to be. And, uh, he's back. motivated and. I'm sure, you know, these three guys, uh, you know, Federer's already got that lead of Grand Slam finals, but, you know, I'm sure Nadal and, and Djokovic are still thinking they're in that hunt, and uh, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, how long he's going to continue doing this and, and dominating the sport, and uh, I guess it's great for tennis that uh, that they're still sticking around, and, uh, and uh, you know, then you have this new crop of exciting uh, stars uh, knocking on the door, so... I think it's, uh, tennis has never been so popular, and, and you know there's a lot to look forward to in the sport, not just from Canada, but from in an international standpoint. Have you have you ever heard of the uh, the, the campsite rule of dating? Is that familiar to you? No. Uh, it's you 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 want to leave your part, regardless of what happens. You want to leave your partner uh, in a better place than uh, when you found him or her. I'm wondering. Yeah. Uh, apply that to tennis. Do you, do you feel like you left the sport in a better place than you found it? I mean, do you feel the sport is healthier now than? When you started your career in the early '90s, or are you concerned? I think it's come full circle. To be honest, uh, when I came in, I felt like the sport was very popular. You know, it was the tail end of uh, Macaron and Lendl, and, and I guess Connors was still around. And, and then you had this new crop of exciting stars like Sampras, Courier, Agassi uh, that uh, you know that were that were you know taking over, and, and Michael Chang, and even Isovich, and so many different kinds of personalities and engaging with the fans and, and fans can relate to them. And I, I think, uh, you know, then it kind of slowed down a little bit, uh, in the nineties, you know, it was a kind of a two man show. Maybe Becker wasn't, uh, wasn't playing as well as he should have. And uh, so it's kind of a two man show with, with that person, Agassi. And, you know, the, the, the game had gotten a little bit fast. I think the courts were, were really fast and, and the rallies weren't what they should have been. And, and, you know, uh, so, I think it kind of slowed down a little bit there, and uh, you know, I, I was kind of part of that. And, and uh, you know, and I think in the last five, ten years, now that uh, Federer's had uh, some competition with Djokovic and Nadal, and, and, you know, the games got so athletic and they slowed it down, and I, I think it might have gone a little bit too far in that direction because, uh, you know, some of these rallies are, <laughs> are bordering on uh, on too long and uh, too repetitive and, and uh, too similar, but... Uh, I think uh, you know the game is at an all-time high with with these top players and and you know the guys that are, are the next generation and and uh, you know plus I think just from the sport in general uh, you know people's uh, you know desire to to live a healthy lifestyle and and you know fitness being a uh, important part of that I think more and more people are playing tennis for that reason and. It's a great. It's a sport that you can play your whole life. It's a, it's a great sport to stay in shape, and and uh, you know I think it's a combination of all those things, and and you know we're seeing in Canada the sport is booming, and 
And I think, uh, you know, around the world, uh, from, from you know, these tournaments that I've played, I've just noticed uh, a resurgence of, of fans and, and interest. And, you know, even in doubles, people are, you know, watching more and more doubles. And, and uh, obviously, singles is, is where it's at. But uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's come full circle. I think I, I came in at a, at a great time. And, you know, there's a little bit of lull uh, along the way, but it's uh, it's definitely picked up in the last uh, you know, five years, I would say, and, and uh, you know now it's peaking again. Um, all right, speed round. A- answer these uh, in, in in one word or one sentence. Short short questions. Would you have would would you have voted for this new Davis Cup format? Well, I, I heard Davis Cup format. What's the what was would, the question? Would you have voted for it if 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 you had a vote? Would you have voted no. for it? No. Um. Can you believe Maple Leaf Gardens is now a grocery store? Can I believe that? I just drove by it the other. I was in Toronto the other day. I said, "Oh, that's where Maple Leaf Gardens." And I looked on the side, yeah, and it's some they, like yeah, they had a foods. seniors event, they had a seniors event there. It's sad. I mean, I'm not a Leafs fan, but there's a lot of history in that building. No, I can't believe that. Um, all right, I won't ask you about John Gameshi. Your uh, your credentials would uh, make you a very attractive candidate to the tennis hall of fame um how much does that matter to you well obviously it's uh it would be you know an immense honor for me to be even considered with some of the top players that, that get voted into that so i mean obviously my credentials you know might might you know uh i guess uh, be worthy of it but uh, you know i also grew up or played through, you know, a lot of talk about uh, covering half the court and, and you know, it, it is doubles and, and that. So I, I don't know. I don't know what, what to say. I mean, I, I know my level. I, I feel like I'm a, a very good tennis player. Uh, but, uh, you know, the people that, that enter the Hall of Fame are amazing tennis players. So I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, I'll leave that up to the people who vote. <laughs> well, uh, t- Tom, Tom Tebbett will head your, uh, he'll be your Paul Manafort. He'll head up your, uh, your your candidacy. Um, so you you've raked the you know you've raked the leaves. You've only been retired for uh, for for two days. But uh, but what what's the future hold? And what um, what's what's next for you? Yeah, I, well, I really want to stay involved in tennis and especially in Canada. You know, I want to you know help promote the sport and and uh, you know kind of travel around the country and and do that and uh, you know at, at all levels. I mean, whether it's kids or high performance or, or adults. I mean, I think. There's something special going on in this country with uh, with tennis, and you know, I want to stay involved in that and uh, and help it grow. You are shaming the United States. Uh, you're too modest to say this, but I'll say it for you. Uh, if if there's the, the tennis boom in Canada, you you are one of the founders. So uh, I, I hope you take some real satisfaction in that. These these kids came of age when you were winning Grand Slam titles and Olympic medals, and here we are in 2018 and. You have uh, one one tenth of our population, and uh, you have um, a very bright tennis future. Congratulations! Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Daniel. Take care, and uh, we'll, we'll miss you out there. But hope uh, paths cross again soon. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks to Daniel Nestor. Uh, tennis is down a good guy with his uh, retirement this past weekend, but uh, 25, 26 your careers um, don't don't come around. All that often. Um, again, Newport bound as I see it. We can save that discussion for another time. But with that, 
let's bring in Jamie Lasanti. We missed you out at the uh, out at the tennis. We were uh, two subway cars passing in the night. I was doing morning shifts. You were there later. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Do we agree the uh, Serena Noble or uh, whatever we're calling it, Serena Gate, Women's Final Gate? Uh, enough ink has been spilled. Enough uh, pixels have been spent. Let's let's move on. Or is there anything you'd like to add? No, I think we're gonna we're gonna move on. I agree wholeheartedly. I, I think we have uh... the dead horse uh, and metaphor comes quickly to mind uh let's let's move forward uh first of all what struck you about that conversation i really liked uh his opinion and thoughts on the younger players um i think he i didn't he's 46 years old i mean we talk about federer being old what's wrong with 46 years old he's 10 years older than federer i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that i'm saying in perspective of we talk about age and tennis he is that much older um so it was really cool to hear him talk about Uh, Felix and Dennis and just even about their body types and how he sort of looks at them and really sees players who are um, unlike peers of their age and and you know hopefully going to be champions in the sport so I thought that was really cool. I I thought that was really interesting too about did did you catch what he was saying about sort of the the iPad generation and the ADD because that's something you hear about with Curious it's something honestly you hear about even with Sasha Zverev how's this guy gonna win a best of five match when he's checking his phone at every changeover, or I mean, I right. maybe not changeover, but uh, you know, I, I think that was a complaint that one of his former coaches had. I think uh, I was talking to a friend who coaches high school football, and he was telling me about how a lot of them have attitudes, and they—I mean, that's not unnormal in, in high school sports, but they grew up in this generation of not just having stuff on TV, but. Instagram and that's something that I'd even grow up with uh, you know playing sports and they see see things and they think they have to act a certain way or be a certain way to kind of have that or they they go on Snapchat and they have to be this way and they kind of have this attitude and they're they don't really want to you know just work hard and, and put that stuff down and put that stuff away and they kind of want to broadcast everything um, so it's interesting to hear about him say that these two kids are uh, no, not, that's not a part sustained of that, focus. You know? Yeah, exactly. I, I thought, um, I mean, I, I think there's a whole book to be written about this Instagram persona that all kids have and everything's great and it's completely artificial. But I think, you know, U.S. Open, let's go back there. We're not going to talk about Serena, but we'll talk about another tired topic, which is Nick Kyrgios. I was really struck. I don't know if you followed this. The Mo Leani, the, the, the controversial match and yes. uh, with Air Bear and Donna Vekic weighs in right. with a tweet. <laughs> And Nick Kyrgios then gets in this Twitter battle with Donna Vekic. And what struck me was the time code on those tweets. Clearly, Nick Kyrgios, and I don't think he's alone in this, clearly he goes back into the locker room and the first thing he does is check his phone. So this is minutes after walking off court, winning a Grand Slam singles match, and he's on his phone having these Twitter battles. And to me, that was a real revelation about just the media consumption of young athletes today where before they've taken a shower, before they've dissected the match with a coach, before they're, you know, again, this is a a favorite topic of mine, but before all of these chemicals coursing through their body, um, all the the cortisol levels normalize, first thing he does clearly is check his phone. Um, Boy, that's a a generational demarcation right there. That's um, that's an interesting way to to comport yourself. But um, anyway, it was interesting to here that and you get the feeling that uh, the Dennis and Felix both have this level of maturity that informs their six. I don't, I don't know if you saw this when when Felix had the 
I'm blanking on the term, but the, the racing heart that caused him to withdraw from that first round match. And Dennis goes to the other side of the net and is very poised and right. sort of says, listen, we're going to be doing this again. We're going to be playing in finals one day. Try, try first he said try your best you're telling your opponent basically giving them a pep talk and then uh and I, I thought that showed I mean you can you can prepare an athlete for a lot of a lot of circumstances and a lot of uh you know exigency eventuality I mean that that was not a situation that athletes prepare for to see your friend and opponent on the ground uh trying to get his heart rate to uh, slow down we like pep talks just we, not from the uh yeah not the from the, not from the chair umpire <laughs> and we don't often get them we from don't the have opponent to get back into that but. as well um so tennis uh is it the strange position right now where we head into the fall season, but we've played all four of the majors. Bit of anticlimax, perhaps. Uh, we do have both tours have their, you know, we have Davis Cup final, we have both tours have uh, their season enders, but but for all intents, if the four majors are the four tent poles, we've already passed those, so it's a bit of a strange time. Um, unclear if we'll see Serena again before uh, before Melbourne. But uh, give us three storylines that you, Jamie Lasanti, will be following this uh, this indoor season, this autumn in tennis. Put you on the spot. One thing really recently I thought was, you know, just came up, Maria Sharapova shutting down her season for 2018. I thought it was, yep. I thought it was kind of interesting. I know it's not a storyline that obviously she won't be playing, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, she really has had a rough go since coming back. And I, I made the point she – her Nike contract is up in 2018. Right. Well, she makes she makes a lot of money playing it. That she does not take uh, missing that Asia trip lightly. Right, and so there there's just a lot of things um, about that that I I think are interesting, and I I don't know. Do you think we'll see any sort of announcement from her this fall about I th- anything? I think it's really interesting because it's the same central personality trait, but it just is going to be a question of which way does it express herself. Does her um, I, th- I think ego is a loaded term, but does her uh, abundance of pride, does that mean, listen, I can't abide by these results. It's been a nice career. Right. I'm You've mentioned here. that before. Or, or, do, or does that very same trait mean she's saying, God damn it, I'm not going out like this. I'm going to train like hell and I think I can still win majors. I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting to see which way that breaks. Because the one thing I think we can agree, this status quo is not working for her. Yeah. And ever since she's come back, and I think there's this, I've talked about this before, I think there's a whole psychology um when you return from a doping suspension i think you're you're playing largely to reestablish yourself but you're also playing to validate what you did before this to show the world hey listen i didn't achieve what i achieved because of uh, these banned substances and this post comeback whatever you want to call it this post suspension comeback has uh, not gone well for maria sharapova she's now north of age 30 Something's got to give here. Either the rankings got to go up, and she's got to remember who she used to be, or simply win more matches, or or else she's got to call it a career. But um, it's it's not the status quo is not going to work uh, either way. That's uh, that struck me as well, especially because that is multi millions of dollars that she has passed up by not going to Asia. Right, and so it should be interesting. I right, was number um, two. Uh, Novak Djokovic. We'll we'll switch over to ATP before I give you my third one. Uh, Novak Djokovic wins the U.S. Open without uh, without some fanfare because of everything that went on. But it's pretty impressive. I mean, uh, if you really go back to January of this year, the way we were talking about Novak and kind of where he could be at this point in the season was definitely not here. Um, So I just think it is a insane turnaround for him this summer and so of course like 
I want to see what happens for the rest of the year. Can he keep it up? Does he, you know, does he try and settle down a bit because he has played a lot of matches now? And maybe, you know, the one thing that you think about with his, he had, he, you know, he did have an injury, which played a role in everything, but you know, is he playing too much too quickly doing too, like not too well, but he's, he's really surging. So is he going to maybe aggravate something? You know, should he take some time? I don't know. It's the, there's a, uh, Lacoste door in the village not far from me, and it's all congratulations to Novak Djokovic turning 18. Um, six months ago, we were saying, boy, Lacoste really uh, made a bad bet on that one, and how long is he going to stay with Agassi? I mean, never mind January. Like you said, I mean, he lost to Taro Daniel on hard courts in Indian Wells, and there was this look of like, boy, is this a lost soul. He did not have great success on the clay before the French Open. He very nearly wasn't seated in Paris he left. Remember, he lost to uh, who did he lose to Chechenato a middle weekend, and boy, this guy who used to make Grand Slam semis as a matter of you know ritual, who uh, you know right. had won double digit majors, and, and now he's struggling to reach week two. If you'd said he's going to close out the year by winning the last two majors, you'd say that's an extraordinary turnaround. So I, I think you're right. I think that's a good one. And I, I think you're right too that we talk about Naomi Osaka and she didn't get her due and how awkward it was, and she wins a tournament, but she's the one crying on the podium, but. Uh, I'm not sure this Djokovic story quite got the uh, it definitely the did not. publicity it deserved either. I mean, it's hard enough to back up a major, but for Novak Djokovic, Agassi leaves the camp, and right. everybody's sort of wondering how much of this is the elbow, how much of this is spiritual, I think was the euphemism we all seized right. on, how much of this was personal. Um, it is remarkable. I mean, he, he wins Wimbledon, he wins a Masters 1000, in Cincinnati, beating Federer in the final, and then he backs it up by winning the U.S. Open. Um, it's been an extraordinary 90 days. That's that's a hell of a return for Djokovic, and I'm not sure that got the due. But uh, I'm glad it did from you, Jamie Lasanti. All right, what's your third? Uh, we're, we're running low on time here. What's your third point? Uh, Madison Keys. I, hmm. uh, it just I didn't expect you to pull that one out. All right, what do you got? Only because she kind of has had a tough go. I mean, last year at the U.S. Open, obviously, and then this year again. Naomi Osaka was just unbeatable, you know, right. and, and she proved that it was her tournament. She was the champion of this tournament, but Madison has come so close so many times and she really, she has the game of, of a player who can win majors and win titles. And she just, there's just something blocking her there. And I, I feel for her in so many ways. Uh, and I'm just really hoping that she can kind of continue to build on everything and not take a one step forward, one step back approach, which it almost seems like she's doing sometimes. Um, so I'm interested to kind of see how she recovers in the fall season and then going ahead into Australia in January. Good one. I feel like uh, it's a little like Zverev on the men's side where this shortcomings in majors are like compounding interest. Like it puts all the more pressure on the right, next one. And now, of course, good. you know, we're still it's mid-September, and we don't go to Australia until mid-January, so there's a little bit of time here. One, one thing I, I like about Madison Keys is um, she's, she's been through a lot of coaches, mm -hmm. and clearly she has a very special relationship with Lindsay. Mm -hmm. um, who among us doesn't? Uh, but, but, you know, that's for a variety of reasons, not least Lindsay has four kids. That's perhaps not sustainable, and she's had a really hard time finding other coaches. I don't think I'm violating any secrets when I say that. And I think, to me, that shows an assertiveness that shows sort of a lack of uh, contentment. I think there's there's that sort of actually revealing that she's um, had a number of coaching relationships where she says, uh-uh, this, this ain't working for me. I mean, she deals with Ola Momquist at the USTA, and um, 
he and Lindsay seem to sort of tag team it a bit at the U.S. Open. But I, I think it says something about Madison's personality that she has these expectations and she has this assertiveness where she's willing to make uh, these changes. But, yeah, I mean, there's no question. The game is there. The power is there. O- Osaka was a strange match. Remember, she had all those break points, right. thir- 13, right. I think it was 13, 13. break points. Um, and, yeah, you can chalk that out. Hey, I just ran into a hot player. But, you know, Madison Keys beat Osaka at that very same tournament, at that right. same court two years ago. So did this person eat my lunch? I mean, who two years ago would have thought Naomi Osaka would have beaten Madison Keys to the punch? But uh, I, I still think it's a question of when and not if for her. I, I still, if you if you said, will Madison Keys win a major, yes right. or no, I still am voting yes. I think, I think she's comparable to Halep in many ways in that sense uh, because – for a while, we were saying the same thing, when, if not if, about her. Um, I worry then that when that time comes, you know, Halep is, she, what, what's the stat? She she made uh, two finals this year and, like, uh, the rest were first or second round yeah, exits. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting uh, right? Grand Slam season for and Halep. And so I, I worry that that happens again um, with with her. With Madison. With Madison. But, um yeah, but then it's, you have the you know Wozniacki will say, "Listen, whatever I do the rest of my career, I'm a Grand Slam winner." And even a player as accomplished as she is, who's been number one, um, once she won that Grand Slam, you get the feeling there's sort of a level of of satisfaction that um, no matter what happens from here on out, the one thing I'll always be able to say is I'm a major winner. But uh, no, I, th- I didn't think you'd go with Madison Keys as your third card, but it's uh, no, don't apologize. Mm-hmm. Inspired, uh, inspired pick. All right. Um, you need to go. I need to go. That will do it for us. Um, again, thanks, Daniel Nestor. Good conversation with uh, a longtime doubles player and I would argue a future Hall of Famer. Jamie, thanks as always. Thanks, John. Nice to have you back. We'll do it again next week. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Keep the suggestions coming and uh, we'll talk in seven days.